corner and in strolls little Johnny, kind of just bopping along. And all of a sudden, he sees what's on the coffee table. And he looks around, and the parents are peeking around. He walks over, picks up the $10 bill, stuffs it in his pocket, tucks the Bible under his arm, and takes the shot of whiskey. He said, oh, no, he's going to be a televangelist. So I want to talk about tonight, I want to teach a little bit, maybe preach a little bit. I don't know uh, what to make of this, other than I'm going to talk about life lessons from a questionable prophet. Life lessons from a questionable prophet. So if we'll go to Numbers chapter 23, we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 12. I need to go quickly, probably shouldn't try to read this much, but you know me. And Balaam said unto Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxens and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. Balaam said unto Balak, Stand by the burnt offering, and I will go, preadventure, the Lord will come to meet me, and whatsoever he showeth me I will tell thee. And he went to a high place. And God met Balaam, and he said unto him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered up every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return unto Balak, and thus shalt thou speak. And he returned unto him, and he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his parable, and he said, Balak the king of Moab hath brought me from Aram, and out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob. And come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his." Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. Behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? One more passage of Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15. Now, if that's all we had read, and that's all the story that you knew of Balaam, probably some of you, most of you probably know the story from Sunday school, but if that's all you knew of Balaam, he'd seem like a pretty decent guy. But then we get to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. And Peter is preaching, and he's kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it haranguing, but he's just kind of getting with it and kind of talking straight and preaching it straight. And he gets to verse 15, and he says, speaking of these false prophets and these people that have come along and tried to corrupt the teachings of the church, which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. So this man that if you just look at numbers, you might get a little confused unless you read the whole story of, the, of, of this prophet. So the question is, is he a real prophet of God or not? There's lots of, you read commentaries on this, and you look at people trying to teach on Balaam, you'll find about every commentary you find, you'll find a different opinion, right? So you just have to go back to the Bible and let the Bible speak. So what we do know clearly from this prophet is, man, by the time you get around to Peter's day, he becomes the quintessential prophet for prophet. He's a hireling. 
He's a preacher who will say whatever you want him to say for money. That's the kind of man he is. At least we know that's his end. But did he start that way? That's the real question. And there are a lot of people who will say, well, of course, he was a, not a prophet of God. Well, that's interesting because if you look at uh, chapter 22, verse 8, he prophesies using the covenant name of God. So it's not like he's just talking about God in general. He's actually using the very name of God. And, and not only that, God speaks to him. And God puts a word in his mouth. So clearly, from the, uh, from the approach of Scripture, I know the Scripture also calls him a soothsayer. So at least by the end of his life, he ended in a negative place. But it looks like the Scripture shows, at least in the beginning, he started well, but ended up in a bad place. So how did that happen? Well, what is a prophet, first of all? A prophet is somebody that hopefully does more than puts a $10 bill in their pocket tucks a Bible under their arm, takes a shot of whiskey. Hopefully a prophet is a man of God. Hopefully a prophet is someone that speaks the word of God because God shows some people his heart and he gives them things to say about the time and he looks at the, uh, the world and where they're at and he says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth so you can speak my heart to my people. That's what a prophet is. That's what a prophet should be. Psalm 103 verse 7 says that God made his ways known to Moses, but his deeds to the children of Israel. That means that you can know some things about God that other people don't. Made his ways known to Moses, but his deeds to the children of Israel. That's because he would make his ways known and Moses would say, God's going to do this. But the children of Israel had to wait until after the deed and they go, wow, that was God. So that shows that there are some people that God gives insights into, especially leadership, in order that they might prophesy what will come to pass. He says, whoever you bless, I will bless. Whoever you curse, I will curse. But the mistaken notion, if we're not careful, is we think that somehow the prophet can twist God's arm. No, God is saying, I will come and spend time with you and disclose to you my heart. And in those moments, you will find what I am going to do. And what you say will be so in line with my ways and my will that I have disclosed to you that when you say blessing, I will follow what I have told you I will do. So they're not twisting God's arm. What happens is the Moabites hears of the, hear of this prophet Balaam. And they say, look, we know that, you know, the Israelites have come in and, and there's another nation that's mightier than us. And, and they've already just destroyed this mightier nation. How do we have any hope? And the guy looks at the king and says, hey, there's this prophet. Heard about him, uh, Balaam. And whatever he says comes to pass. So I tell you what we'll do. We'll send over and, and you get him. And if you get him to curse them, guess what? They're going to fail. So maybe we can get a supernatural upper hand on them. And so they, they go to Balaam, and as they approach, basically he says, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you a bunch of money, a bunch of cattle, you know, that was the currency, a bunch of robes, and we're going to give you a position and prestige in, in, the, uh, in the Moabite kingdom. And so Balaam's thinking, yeah, sounds good to me. He said, let me go pray about it. And he goes back, and God says, don't go and don't curse who I have blessed. How can you curse whom I have blessed? And so Balaam comes out, and he says, you know what? Wish I could go with you, 
I can't. Because I can't do anything as a prophet other than speak the word of the Lord. So they turn and they leave. But something must have happened because they didn't stay away. They came back and basically doubled the offering. We will give you twice as much. Now, why did they come back? You know, there are sometimes you can tell what's in a person's heart when you ask them something. And it may be something was communicated in the heart of that servant when he asked Balaam, can you do this? Would you come with us? Let me go pray about it. Something in his demeanor must have communicated that he wanted what was being offered. Because they weren't satisfied. Now look, how many of you know there are sometimes, some of you guys can attest that when a girl says, you say, hey, you want to go get a cheeseburger or something? You want to go? And they slam the door emphatically. And you know what that means, right? Look, there's, oh, who, how many guys in here are single, Brother Chris? We got, well, we got a few, so it's good. How many of you know when the, there's a way that a girl can shut the door and it's just shut? No mixed signals. I really like you as a friend. <laughs> That's the door slamming shut, Brother Chris. It's done. All right? But there is something that can be said when you come to some people and you can say, look, there's something in the heart of Balaam that if we go back, boss, I think we can have him. If we double the money, I think we can get this guy. So what do they do? They go back. He says, look, I'm gonna, we'll promise you a greater place and a greater position and more money and more things and more status. And what did Balak say he's going to do? Well, let me go pray about it. Why are you praying again the second time? Do you think God changed his mind? No, because Balaam in his heart of hearts wanted what was being offered. He was willing to say, I will go back and try to convince God again. And he says, look, God, can I, if, if, you know, if you're not going to let me curse them, at least let me just go with these guys. And here's where you will find an incredible biblical principle. And if, you, if you're writing things down, this is the first life lesson from a questionable prophet. If you want to go, God says, go, and I will let you. Here's the principle. If you desire to silence God's voice and directives in your life, he will let you. If you constantly say, I want my will, I want my way, eventually God will let you have it. Balaam, why are you asking God for something that you know he's already said no to? Here's the problem. God cannot give us free will and not give us free will at the same time. He can't give you the right to choose and at the same time force you to obey him. He will call. He'll speak to you, he'll draw you, he'll even pressure you, but he will never force you to do what's right. And if you desire your will, he will let you have it eventually. That's huge. That's why most of the commentaries you read will not say that he's a prophet of God because they're mostly Calvinist and Reformed stuff and they don't believe you can backslide. But here's the point. You can be in a good place, but if you're not careful and your desires, you just you let yourself be tempted along certain lines, pretty soon God will let you just go on and have your way. So what is the point, Brother Kilman? Here's the point. Balaam put himself in a position where he would fail. But God will not put more on us than we can bear. That's true. But baby, you will. God will not put you in a position to fail, but you can put yourself in a position that you shouldn't be in, and you will fail. 
He compromised his convictions by putting himself in a position he had no reason to be in. Balaam, what were you thinking? The little boy going home from school and every day he's stopping by and playing baseball with his friends and he's not getting all of his homework done. And his dad says, look, tomorrow when you come home from school, I want you to walk straight home. I don't want you to stop by the softball field. You get home and you get your homework done. The little boy comes home and it's about five o'clock and he comes in with his ball glove and he's like, um, his dad says, what, what did I tell you? I told you to come straight home from school. He said, well, he said, I walked by the ball diamond. He said, my friends were all there, and they were like, come on, play a quick game, and, and then you can go home. And then one game turned into two games, turned into three games, and pretty soon, I, I, by, before I realized it was 5 o'clock, Dad, I'm sorry, I just I fell into temptation. He said, well, that's interesting. Now, I notice you have your ball glove. Why did you take your ball glove with you? He said, well, that was in case I was tempted. See, here's the problem. It's not that temptation can't be avoided. It's just sometimes we prepare ourselves for temptation. Sometimes we say, look, it's, it's not hard to reach up and t- take the forbidden fruit if you're right next to it. But if you're a thousand yards away from it, you've got to walk towards that thing before you commit it. The problem is proximity to temptation is sometimes our fault. And we put ourselves in positions that we never should have been in. So Balaam, here is this prophet of God walking with these, this pagan king trying to curse God's people. What was he thinking? His desires had so clouded his mind that he forgot who he was. He forgot why God had even given him his gifts and his power in terms of how he could be used under the unction of the Spirit of God and moved by prophecy. He forgot that he was supposed to be an agent of God. Hmm. You know, the Bible calls us the light of the world. That means that when we walk out into the world, there should be a difference. The greatest testimony to the power of the gospel and the truth of the word of God is a changed life. And I've said it lots of times in here. I love the quote. Uh, Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel wherever you go and when necessary, use words. That means your actions should demonstrate that you are a changed person walking in the power of God. Well, what are you saved from? Well, I'm saved from sin. Well, there should be a testimony, a difference in your testimony. There should be a difference in your walk. That means that they should follow you. You shouldn't follow them. That means, all right, let me get it concrete. That means in our movement, maybe they should sing our song. When are we going to get back to that? You know, they used to sing our songs. Now they are preaching our sermons. T.D. Jakes preaches our sermons all the time. So there's, I mean, it's like, come on, why are we, why are we mimicking the world? Why are we chasing after the approval? You have to get that nailed down. Balaam wanted position and power and influence from someone else when he had the authority of God. And it was his own desires that clouded his mind to show that he was no longer an agent of God, but actually become complicit in cursing the people of God. How did that happen? I tell you how. It was very slow. He didn't start out to curse them. He started out because he desired something. And he put himself in a position to be tempted above what he was able. And that's how it started. Small. Balaam says, okay, I'll come. Why are you going? Well, there's three mountains between here. 
or there, between here and there, and I got three chances to offer sacrifices on three different mountains. He offers a sacrifice on the first mountain, guess what? He blesses Israel. Comes to the second mountain, same thing, blesses Israel. By the third time, he blesses Israel again, and Balaam is like, Balak is like, the king says, what are you doing? I brought you out here to curse them. Just leave. Don't say anything else if you're not going to curse them. Please don't keep blessing them. And look at the false pride of Balaam. Well, I can't curse whom God has blessed. Well, Then why are you on this mountain with this pagan king? Why, are you, why have you offered sacrifice three times? Because I got three chances that maybe God will relent and I can get the stuff I really want. Balaam's first mistake was to put himself in a position where he would fail. That's why Romans 13, 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make no provision. Well, I'm strong enough, Brother Kilman. No, you're not. You are not strong enough. Quit lying to yourself. Quit trying to convince yourself of that. That's your lust driving you there. It's your own desires, Balaam, that have you walking with the pagan king on these mountaintops in a place you should never have been in the first place. Now, this is tough, isn't it? Why are you just, man, you, took, you could have picked all the people in the Bible to talk about. You picked Balaam. Why would you do that? Because I don't want you to be a Balaam. I don't want you to make the mistakes of Balaam. Because it didn't, he didn't start out to curse the people of God, but his desires got him there. Hmm. Why are you a Christian? Well, because God saved me. Well, if that's true, then why are you trying to go back to carnality? Why are you trying to lead people back to the bar or the pool hall or the theaters? Don't you remember the pit from which God dug you? Why are people trying to take us back to that? It's your desires. It's your carnality. It's not spirituality that drives you towards those things. Okay, how many, how many hours of TV do you watch a day? Oh, I'm sorry. How many hours of Netflix do you watch a day? It's not about spirituality. It's about carnality. It pulls you down. It pulls you down those roads. And before you know it, you're watching things that you, should, you, knew, you used to never watch. You're looking at things that you become so desensitized to that you used to never watch. How many murders have you seen? God forbid some of you are going to have children. Some of you already have children. How many murders have your children seen? How many adulteries have they seen? How many times have they heard someone swear? How many times have they seen someone drink? Well, I would never let anyone that was drinking in my house. Are you sure? Look, I'm not, this is not, I hope you don't see this as haranguing, but it's like, it's just a slow fade. It just, that's how it starts. It doesn't start with like these monumental things. It's not like Balak is going to say, I'm going to go right now and I'm going to tell you how to trick the people of God into failure. But it started with his desires. Mm. So look at Balaam. Here is this prophet of God with this pagan king who will ultimately curse and destroy the people of God. You should never be ashamed to say no to sin. Never be sorry. I don't care who you're with. Look, this is kind of an in-house discussion, so, you know, it's for like us folks. And, and so, I, look, you shouldn't apologize for sin or saying no to sin. You should look at them and say, no, we just don't do that. We don't go there. You will never be sorry for saying no to sin. Because once you start down that path, 
pretty soon that carnality begins to spread, and we know, we know, we know that it ends up in places we never dreamed. Overcomers are never afraid to say no. You, look, you need to say no. All right, here's the false idea. Victory is in saying no to temptation. That's a false idea. That's a lie. It's not in saying no to temptation. Victory is saying, I will not put myself in the position where I can fall. It's way before that. It means I'm not, okay, let me make it concrete. Why in the world would two people that's dating park in a dark spot? Because they're stupid. Because there's, oh, there's one little girl in here. Because certain drives are going really fast and, you know, and, you, and I'm just, you know, I'm trying to coach it in good words. Right? Why in the world would you park? Do you really want to have to have the conversation with your child? And when they ask, Daddy, did you? Mommy, did you before you were married? Now, I'm not talking about before Christ, all that BC stuff. doesn't matter. When you were in church and you were serving God, did you ever? You want to really have that conversation? Then don't put yourself in the position to fail. That means if there's nobody at the house, you drop them off and don't go in. Why? Because if I cut you, you bleed red, and you're human. And you're not above temptation. It's like, well, I'm going to say no. Well, how, how far are you going to skirt with that fire until you, I'm going to walk as much as I can right towards the end? What are you thinking? I have to resist the urge to say too much there. But you get the point. But we just couldn't help ourselves. Brother Mooney said one time, I bet you if I knock on the window, you could have helped yourself. Oh, please, Brother Bozinski, edit the tape. But here's the point. Victory is not just saying no. It's saying I won't put myself in the position to be tempted to fail. That means there's some things you shouldn't allow uh, to happen. Let me ask some questions. Ask it like this. What settings are you in when you fail? Avoid them. What, what props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. Get rid of them. What people are you around when you usually fail? Avoid them. Is that plain enough? Get out of there. Run. Flee. Be brave. Run. Flee youthful lust. That's the biblical prescription. Flee. It doesn't say to sit there and try to be strong. Run. I mean, it's like Joseph. He left the coat in her hands and was gone. Right? So, you know, it's like grab a hold of my jacket. I'm out of here. If I have to leave the jacket, I'm gone. That's the way you should handle temptation. You should run. You should, first of all, never even put yourself in the position to be tempted above what you're able. Right? Here's the point. Balaam had no business being with the king of Moab doing what he was doing in the first place. But he got there. Oh, he could maybe argue, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just going in case God changes his mind. Liar. You're there hoping that he'll change his mind so you can get what you want. You shouldn't fool yourself. You should know that the temptation's there, and you should deal with it. Here's the second mistake of Balaam. He was running from the voice of God. Here, let me give you a positive example first. Samuel, young boy, he's there with Eli, and here's someone speak. He gets up, and he runs to the man of God. You, you call me Eli? No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep, boy. What are you thinking? Second time he gets up and he comes, finally it begins to dawn on Eli. This is the voice of God speaking to you. You need to go back, son, and say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. 
Now, if somebody is running towards the voice of God, they may not discern everything correctly at first. They may not get every nuance right first, but I'm going to tell you, as long as you're running towards the voice of God and trying to please him, everything will work out. You will hear clearly. God will speak into your life. Things that you don't always understand at first, he'll work out the details as long as you're running towards the voice of God. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. That's okay. But when you're running away from the voice of God, look at Balaam's life. He prays. And he prays again, hoping God will change his mind. God doesn't change his mind, so he decides to go anyway. He was met with an angel on the road. How many of you remember the Sunday school story? He's riding down there on his donkey. The donkey bangs him into the side of the mountain. Why? Because the donkey can see down the road and see there's an angel with a flaming sword. The problem is Balaam's desire so consumed him that he'd lost his spiritual vision and didn't even realize he was marching towards death. So God had his donkey to have enough mercy on him to bang him into the side of the mountain. And finally, God lets his donkey speak to him, which just shows that preachers can preach because God can use anybody. God used the donkey, he can use me, right? Sorry, it was a joke. But the point is, there he is, and he says, look, why have you, why have you treated me this way, the donkey says. And he says, because you, you hurt. And finally, he sees the angel, and he falls down, and he says, look, I, I was going to kill you. But if you go, do you hear that? You know, how, I didn't, listen, this is, people don't fail overnight. People that fall into issues and crash ministries and crash, crash lives and crash families, I'm telling you, it didn't happen overnight. It was lots of red lights. It was lots of things. It was a process of time. And all you're seeing is this collision, this cataclysmic thing at the end. Balaam is running red light after red light after red light after red light because he's tuning away, uh, tuning out the voice of God and running away from the voice of God. And even then, if I was that joker, I'd have turned around and went home. But still, because of his own desires, he gets a reminder from the angel only speak what God says. And he goes anyway. Finally, he goes, he prophesies, and he prophesies blessings three times, and he finally leaves. And if that was the end of the story of Balaam, we would have had probably no mention of him in the, in the New Testament other than to say maybe he was a good prophet of God. But then he comes back again. And he tells them, I know how you can get them. You can't curse them because God has blessed them. So what you got to do is you got to get them detached from their God. And if you can get these women to go into them, and you can get them to compromise their integrity and their ethics, you get them to do that, and God will curse them. It's true. The preacher is telling a pagan king how to get the victory over the people of God. How in the world does something like that happen? It started very simply. Desire, desire, desire. Running away and ignoring the voice of God. I have a five-year-old son. Five-year-old, oh Lord, nine-year-old. Almost ten. Oh Lord, I just lost five years. I have a ten, almost ten-year-old son, August 4th. And I can tell you when he's in trouble the most. When I don't hear anything. Or... When I walk into the room and he dashes up the stairs quickly, I'm like, boy, stop. What are you doing? What? Feigned innocence. 
What are you doing? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? What do you have in your hands? And usually he's taking a snack upstairs. He's not supposed to have upstairs. Or it's like he said the other day. It's, it's wonderful how children can sometimes show kind of what we are in our own heart. He said to my wife the other day, she was getting on to him and saying something to him. He had done something. He says, Mommy, why do you always blame me for what I do? Now, you're laughing, but haven't you said the equivalent to God sometimes? Lord, um, why am I in this fix? Because you were persistent in your wants instead of what I tried to tell you. God, how is there so much trouble in my life? Because you're putting yourself in positions you shouldn't put yourself in. God, why am I in this jam? Why is my world falling apart? Because you're running from my voice and everything that I've tried to speak into your life. Isn't it true that most of the time, the trouble that we have in our lives, sure, it rains on the just and the unjust. But isn't it true that most of the problems, are, it's, not, it's not the devil. It's not even Amy. Much as I'd like to blame her. I've got a good wife and kids. They're in the most of the time, the trouble that comes into my life is because of my own desire, my own ignoring what God is trying to speak in my Am I the only human person in here? It's my own, it's the, the number one person I struggle with, I see in the mirror every morning. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. The fight is finished. The question is whether or not I will align myself with that victory. Brother Barkus, I'm getting close to done. There was a, a man uh, who wrote a book called uh, Hurrying Big for Little Reasons, uh, Ronald Meredith. It's a good book in case you want a book to read. It's a fun book. He tells a story about an early spring uh, night. He says, suddenly out of the night, there came a sound of wild geese flying. He said, I run, ran to the house and breathless, breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? He says, it might have ended there except for the sight of our tame mallards in the pond. He said, they heard the wild call that they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response, the urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God made them, was sounding in their feathered breasts, but they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn in the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity to fly. This is what I hope tonight. I hope that this is more than just a, a call of God saying, what? I want you to live higher. I want you to come away from some relationships. I want you to leave some things that you know you shouldn't be engaged in. I hope that you will do more than just let the, the call and the yearning of the Spirit strike your heart and you feel stirred a little bit and uncomfortable because you decided to be tame, to allow temptation to dictate the victory and the low living of your life. But instead, I hope you will arrive to the call of the Spirit and say, I was made for more. I was made for victory.
I pray that perhaps some of you will take some things to the altar that you've had for a long time. Say, I'm going to lay this down and consecrate it on the altar. So let me ask you tonight in closing, what drives you? What desires are strongest in you? That's the real question. Do you hunger after God and His will? Or is there competing affections in your life? Is your desires chiefly what drive you? Or are His desires what you follow most? That's the real question for the Christian. But here's the point. If your heart is not towards God, it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It doesn't matter even what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what your pastor says or your parents say or your friends say. It doesn't even matter what the UPCI manual says. If your heart is not towards God, you will find a way to justify anything that you want. Hear me. Your desire. Out of your heart flow the issues of life. What drives you most? Is it the hunger and thirsting after God? Or is it something else? Would you stand with me tonight? Balaam, man. Who knows that this man could have, could have not went into the halls of faith as another Amos or another uh, Hosea or another Joel or another minor prophet that spoke and, and stirred people to the acts of God and was God's mouthpiece in his age and, and lived this great life of ministry in which he stirred God's people with God's message for the time. But instead, his desires robbed him of ministry. What do you mean, Brother Kilman? Well, let me ask you some questions or point out some things to observe. It's never more dangerous or foolish than to be for what God is against or to be against what God is for. If you find yourself standing in opposition to this book, you better deal with your heart. Because I know judgment doesn't happen overnight. I know Balaam looked like he was doing good, and he looked like his heart was towards God, and doesn't he have a great ministry, and isn't he a good Christian? And, and all the time there were some things in his heart, some desires that were pointing him towards a road. It, was not gonna be, it, wasn't over, it wasn't just all at once, but just slowly he began to walk a path to ultimate destruction to where he was slain in battle. And forever his epitaph was, he's a prophet. Our challenge is not to convert God to be on our side, but to be converted so that we may be on his side. Nail down the issues of your heart. Right? We know right now, right now. I know this is not, this is not fiery. I didn't feel like to come fiery. I, I felt to talk because here's the thing. Sometimes we can become so passionate. We're like, we're into virtual everything, reality shows. It's like people sitting on the couch watching The Biggest Loser and eating bonbons, and they feel good about it. Why? Because it allows you... Now, I'm going to... I'm, I'm just being... Please, I'm not picking on people. But it, I'm, I'm just saying that there's a, there comes a place where we can say we can emotionally touch something. We can emotionally say... Come down and have a good prayer meeting. My mom preached a great sermon. Stirred but not changed. 
We can emotionally touch something sometimes and think we've dealt with it and we haven't dealt with it. I don't even want you to come down here and cry a bunch of tears. I want you to nail down the thing in your life that the Spirit has been speaking to you tonight and say, that thing has to go. I cannot allow that much, please, I'm just using these as examples. I can't allow that much media consumption in my life and say I'm a responsible Christian that's interested in reaching my city. I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to, I just don't want you to be a Balaam. I don't want you to be pointed down a road in which your desires and your consuming for pleasure ends up taking you so far away from the will and work of God that you awake one day like Samson and you shake yourself and you don't even know that the Spirit of God is gone. Terrible. Don't ignore the voice of God. If God is speaking to you tonight, don't ignore his voice. Would you bow your heads with me? I know that we all have frailties and weakness, and every one of us feel the, the, the touch of temptation. That is not a sin. Everyone, Jesus was tempted, and he was without sin. The question is, where are those things that you know I shouldn't be involved in those? Where are those relationships that you know you have no business being with people that provoke you to unrighteousness? Are you saying I can't have some friends? Yes, I'm saying you can't have some friendships and maintain a close relationship with God. I'm not saying, please, you know what I mean. I'm not hating on people, Jesus fellowshiped with and, and ate with publicans and sinners, and you got to reach a lost world. But I will tell you, you can't, you can't go sit on the bar stool with them and think that you're going to have victory. Man, I feel, I, I know we're in a heavy moment right here. I just feel that just the, the urge of the Spirit just to stay here for a moment because we need to linger here. We don't need to take the shortcut of saying, oh, God, right now, I know whatever, however you feel to respond is okay. But I don't want you to just brush the voice of God aside. You can get so complacent with the voice of God that like Balaam, you ignore touch after touch after touch after touch. Sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. Call of the Spirit, touch of the Spirit, conviction of the Spirit again and again and again. And you know where the issue is. Kill it tonight. Deal with it. Say no more. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn around. I'm gonna get away from the things, whatever it is, Balaam. I'm gonna turn around. I'm gonna quit coveting the things of this world, the praise of people, money, whatever it is. I'm gonna turn my back on it and I'm gonna walk in victory. If you will determine to do that, God will have victory for you. Man. Balaam. I don't want that to be my name. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that this is a mature group that will stick with the poor old preacher even when it's, it's not shouting. and It's just strong biblical truth. I pray, Lord, that you would touch every individual in here, that you would help us where those issues are, that you would speak specifically. 
we know, God, already the things in our life that you're trying to address. Lord, help us not to crowd out your voice. Help us not to crowd out what you're doing. Lest we end up like Balaam. We want to walk in victory, Lord. This isn't negative tonight. I don't want you to misunderstand what this sermon was about. This is prescriptive. This is about dealing with things before they happen. I don't want you to get way down the road somewhere. I want you to say right now where that thing is in your life. Lord, I'm going to deal with it tonight. Brother Barker.